0: This morning, we have Nate Sims preaching. Nate, come on up. All right, good morning, everybody. Did you miss me? Did you miss me at all? No? That's fine, I didn't miss you either. I'm just coming back here, you know. Actually, you know. Now, you guys are awesome. I'm always excited to be able to preach here with you. Actually, you know, I'm just gonna put this up here. So, all right, well, uh, how's everybody doing? Everybody doing all right? Excited for the Sunday morning? It's all right. Yeah, you guys are doing all right. Good deal. Well, I totally understand that we have guest pastors coming in, and they are going to speak from different areas of Scripture, which is great because God's Word has infinite amount of things to teach us. But we are going to resume back into John, and we're going to look at chapter 7 this morning from like a 30,000-foot view. I'm not going to go through all the details in the passage, but I love the book of John because it's centering on the words of Jesus. It's the red-letter gospel. There's so much about Jesus's identity and his mission. It's just a beautiful book, and so whenever somebody comes and accepts Jesus for the first time, I always recommend the book of John, because they always say, like, okay, what should I read? I say, okay, don't do Genesis, Leviticus, and try to do the whole thing. You're going to die in Leviticus. Like, just center on Jesus, right? We'll go in Romans and things like that, but John is just, uh, you know, such a beautiful book to be able to focus on, and a very gospel-centered, so I'm just excited to be able to Continue to go through this, this journey with you this morning. So we're going to learn a few things this morning. We're going to learn the problem of missional living. What we need in order to live missionally. And where do we get the power? Where do we get the power to live missionally? So first, what do I mean by missional living? Well, every single human being on this planet lives missionally. Do you know that? Everybody. Every career path you choose is a mission-oriented thing, right? So, you know, as a soldier, right, like in the military, I'm constantly seeing missions and orders and things like that, right? It might be, go take that hill, go to this area, go do this. And in Ukraine and, you know, Russia right now, there's a lot of orders going through, a lot of missions that are happening. If you are working in the restaurant and you're a server, you gotta make sure that you're taking care of the patron, you're getting them, you know, you gotta take orders, making sure the food is hot, right? If you work in the hospital setting, you got to take care of your patients. you got to make sure they have their medicine. So they're, they're living well, and so we got to take care of people in the hospital setting. And so it's just as simple as my wife sending me to the um, grocery store and says, i got a mission for you, honey. And I'm like, oh, man, here's the list. And I always get something wrong every time. But listen, it's still a mission. You have a, a task to complete, okay? You go get that peanut butter. And if I miss the peanut butter, my son's going to lose it. You know, he needs his peanut butter. So i gotta, I got to do that kind of thing. So mission is absolutely everywhere. And it's no different for Jesus and in, in the sense of, listen, Jesus is being sent on mission. So what I want to read for you is a, a theme, a reoccurring theme in the book of John, and that's the idea of being sent from the Father. You're going to notice oh, at least 40 times in the book of John, Jesus refers to himself being sent by the Father, which means that he's intrinsically in mission, right? But I want to read those for you this morning. John 7:16 says this. So Jesus answered them, "My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me." John 7:18 "The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, and in him there is no falsehood." So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, "You know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come from my own accord. He who sent me is true." And in him, you do not know him, in him you do not know. John 7:29, "I know him, for I come from him, and He sent me." John 7:33. Jesus then said, "I will be with you a little while longer, and then I'm going to go to him who sent me." So you're going to see this theme of being sent. John chapter one. John's going to just blow everything up and say, "Oh yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he, he always existed. He was never created. He actually created the world. John chapter 17, Jesus, in his prayer life, he's talking to the Father, and what is he doing? He's remnant a beautiful intimate relationship before the sins of the earth, and he says, I had glory with you. This beautiful intimate relationship before the foundation of the earth. So Jesus always, forever, has been on mission. So what is that mission? Right? So Jesus, Jesus is living on mission. What is his mission? Right? If I go to the grocery store, it's pretty easy to know. Like, I have the mission right here. I need to get the eggs, peanut butter, and then you get, you know, it's, it's very specific. So what is the mission of Jesus? And let me, let me tell you something. As an army chaplain, I'll get into this a little bit later, but I've talked to so many people who proclaim to be Christians, and yet they don't know the answer to this. What's the mission of Jesus? What would you say? Luke 19, 10, is my, my life verse, okay? It literally, very clearly, very simply defines the mission of Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus came to do. It's a very simple passage. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus being sent, he comes into this world and he completely understands humanity. He completely understands where we are at as people. He knows that we can't obey God perfectly. He if, God, God gives, if God gave everybody the law right now, God completely understands every human being is not going to live up to that law will not be able to obey it perfectly. It's impossible. But I'm going to go a step further. Even if God didn't give you the law, Romans chapter 1 talks about the fact that human beings can't even obey their own conscience. Okay, so Francis Schaeffer brings this out in his commentary in Romans 1. He basically says, okay, this is what this means. If your life was being recorded 100% of the time, and you didn't know about it, but it was being recorded... But it really like hyper focused every time you told somebody, you should do this, you you gotta stop doing that, you gotta live this way, you gotta spend your money here, you gotta do all this, and all these rules that you give throughout your lifetime, like if God was such a fair judge, what if he says, Listen, I'm not gonna judge you on my morality? I'm not gonna judge you what the scripture says. I'm gonna judge you on your own set of morality. We'd all fail. Because we have a hypocrite problem. We all have these ideals of what we should do, but we never measure up to them, even even if we don't have the law. So we're just a bunch of hypocrites, right? I mean, that's just all what human—that's what we are. We're broken people. The beautiful thing about God is he understands that. He he knows exactly the problem that lives within our heart of being selfish and oppressing people and doing things that are just wicked. He gets all that. And the beautiful thing is that he comes into the world and he identifies as Jesus—you know, Literally, 100% human, 100% God, right? So Jesus literally puts on flesh to completely identify with us. So this is what he does. He represents the perfect version of yourself. I don't know what the perfect version of Nate Sims in. My wife would probably love to know him. But Jesus, he lived perfectly. He perfectly obeyed God. He perfectly prayed and, and, and literally identified the very perfect version of what humanity was supposed to be. So he lived his life completely obeying, completely living the way he should. And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for not being able to live up to God's standard. He absorbed all that sin. All the stuff that we deserve, the way that we should be treated, Jesus was treated. So he dies and he resurrects. And the beautiful thing is, by faith and trust alone, by faith and trust alone, you enter into this relationship with him, and now he's going to treat you like he should be treated in God's eyes, which is perfect. It's trading places. He lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we should have, we should have died. He trades, God literally tr- trades places with us. The cosmic power of all things literally becomes low to identify with us, to save us. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the gospel. That's the mission right there. Isn't that beautiful? I hope so. I hope you think so. Let me ask you a question. What's your mission? Do you have a mission? Oof. Ladies, let's go check this out here. John 17, verse 18 says, As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Referring to his disciples. John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you, Jesus sends his disciples, into the world. We're on mission. We're on mission to take that mission of Jesus and share it with people. Like, it's a very uncomfortable passage because the reasons why that we resist this mission, we have it right here, we go, well, oh, we got a pastor for that. Well, you know, a lot of churches will say, we have a pastor for that. Or we have missionaries that do that. You know? Pull John out of retirement. Come on, do more. Let's go, John. I'm just kidding. And I, you know. But like, that's, that's what a lot of people do, is they try to push that onto just the leadership. But this is his intention for all disciples, is to be missional. And I understand we have introverts and extroverts. I completely understand that we're made differently. But we can all live missionally, and that's for other trainings like co journers that's going to happen in a few weeks, and also a big push for that in October, which I'm excited about. But there's ways to train and understand what does it look like to live missionally in the world that we live in. But nonetheless, I just want you to understand, we are to be living missionally. That's what Jesus calls you to do. People always say, like, what am I called to do? Well, I can tell you right now, this is one of them. It's a hard pill to swallow. Oh, yes. So just because there's a mission doesn't mean there's, there isn't problems, right? So Jesus lived on mission, and any mission that exists, and it doesn't matter who you are, there can be problems with that mission, right? If I'm going to the grocery store, there could be a traffic jam. I could forget my wallet. I could just forget the list and start wandering around just buying whatever I want to buy. You know what I mean? Like, There's problems to mission sets. That's what war is. There's missions constantly have to adapt, right? Uh, You know, if you're a server and the cook makes a mistake and it's really bad food and it's like raw, like, you know, there's a problem with the mission, right? And so Jesus faces this problem in John chapter 7, actually throughout the entire entire book, but his entire life was, he had a lot of problems, barriers with that mission. And I'm going to categorize it really under one thing. That encompasses many different things, but we're gonna see it in this passage. But it's, it's rejection. Rejection is the problem of missional living. You're gonna see this in, right here in two ways. You're gonna see a physical and kind of like a social, okay? So, physically, um, we're gonna take a look here. John 7 1 says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. That's a form of rejection. Because when you die, you lose all connection with people. That's why suicide is so painful. It's because it's a rejection of self and others. right? I I literally just delivered a death notification to a family who found out that um, their son had committed suicide. You know how painful that is to watch a father just break down in your arms? It is brutal. Death in general. Jesus gets super angry about death because his friend Lazarus dies. Um, death is the enemy. Death is rejection. Death is a horrible thing. And Jesus was living missionally, and the Jews were seeking to kill him because he violated the Sabbath, so, that, so they, they accuse him of, right? So that's why they're on mission. I mean, they're on, they want to reject him. They want to kill him. And really, like, as Americans, like, we're not really like, we don't see this as a problem, living missionally. Like, we're, not, like, we're not like Jesus in the sense where people want to, to stone him or kill him. We're not really worried about that. I'll tell you what, though, Christians in other areas are absolutely, it's a big barrier for them. So in, um, according to Christianity Today, Nigeria led the world with uh, 3,530 martyrs confirmed by Open Doors in its 2021 list. That's a lot of dead Christians. The problem to living missionally for them is literally death itself. We, for the most part, don't experience that. In fact, we, we experience the other part of what Jesus experiences, which is social rejection. The Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him. So, rejection really hurts, especially when it's people that are supposed to love you, care for you, people that you've grown up with, those relationships that are very closely knitted to you. Like, if you get rejected by them, it's extremely painful. It creates emotional pain. And really, that's a big barrier when, like, people don't support you when they're supposed to. Like, Jesus' own brothers literally didn't believe in him. Right? And Jesus, like literally the perfect one, lives in the household and they can't even see it. It's just crazy to think about. Like, what was Jesus as a brother? I don't know, but you know, maybe it would just be face all the time. I, I, don't, I don't know what that's like, but let me tell you. Jesus faced rejection on the personal inner ring relationships, but he also faced it, and it throughout this passage of John. I'm not going to get into everything. But the religious leaders cast him out. They've rejected him. They publicly humiliated him as much as they could. But also you have the crowd, and the crowd is a mixed group of people, but they're confused about where he lived, and so they're in John 7. They call him a demon. They were confused about where he lived, and so they're accusing him of that. They're like, dude, we don't even know your education status. Jesus didn't go to Harvard, he didn't go to Princeton, he didn't go to Westminster Theological Seminary. He didn't go to the big he didn't go to seminary. And so they were like accusing him of like who is this guy? How can he teach? He doesn't even have an educational background, right? And so there's all kinds of confusion around Jesus Christ. And so he absolutely faced rejection and this is probably one all right, I missed you. There right, we go. Never back. Sorry, I was singing there. So you don't want me to be a worship pastor, okay? Let me just tell you, I am not dropping my application for that. You would all run away. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you sing it. Sing it, sister. So, um, oh man, you had me lose my train of thought. So, <laughs> so um, that is social rejection is the biggest thing that Americans actually struggle with because we want everybody to like us. We just want to be liked. At the end of the day, we want to be loved and accepted by everybody, internally in the church and also externally in your workplace and wherever you live. You want people to just like you. So it's just better not to live missionally because you know it's going to force some type of rejection. What if I say something and they're mean to me? What if I say something and I don't know something? And you start rejecting yourself because now all of a sudden you don't know the answer to a simple question. And so rejection becomes a real big problem for missional living. And yet Jesus goes through with it. He's facing those things right now in this passage. It's just a problem. And that's a problem that Lydi's church and every single Christian in this world literally got to physical rejection, social rejection. You're going to have to contemplate those things in your life. It's just a problem. So, what do we need in order to live missionally? What do we need? Well, there's three things that we need. We need biblical knowledge. We're also going to need contextual awareness. And then we're also going to need some boldness. Okay? So, verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple, and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is that this man has learning when he has never studied? Now, what was Jesus teaching? Specifically, we don't know exactly what Jesus was teaching at the, at the Festival of the Booths. We, we don't really know. But I can tell you this right now. It's based on the Scriptures. Right? And so Jesus, in some way, is talking about the Scriptures in a way probably alluding to his fulfillment as the Messiah. But he's teaching. If you're going to live missionally, you need to teach. I'm going to go back to this idea of asking Christians. I've, I've talked to literally This is by experience. I've talked to hundreds of people that literally profess to be Christians, and I said, "Okay, let's just say I'm an atheist right now. Can you convert me to be a Christian right now? What do I need to know in order to become a a, a Christian?" I don't know. I don't know. You gotta like you know, gotta like read your Bible and you gotta pray and you kind of you should probably go to church. I mean, I'm, I'm like this is no joke. Like I'm literally like I've talked to Christians who cannot articulate their faith. Christians. I don't know if they're really Christians. So I want you to think about it this way. Let's say one of you takes me out to dinner. And, uh, you know, know, you're married, so it's a couple, and I'm sitting across from you, and I'm just like, well, tell me the story of how you guys came together. Now, imagine if one of you was like, I really can't really explain it at all. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, both spouses are like, yeah, I don't know. We're just kind of here. Like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. You should be able to know how you got together in your marriage. Like, Ephesians 5 says we're married to Jesus. So please let me know how to have a personal. If somebody said to you, please let me know how to have a personal relationship with Jesus, do you know how to articulate that? Or you start like sputtering around and saying all kinds of things like atonement and other like which is <laughs> That's why a lot of people like they know it, they'll be like, uh, you know, there's Jesus, and then you know he kind of came and um, he died on the cross, and, and um, there, there's sin there. And do we know how to really communicate baseline level Christianity? Basic, this is my relationship with Jesus. Do we know how to do that? These are things to think about. But if you want to live missionally, you have to know like what you're being missional about. That'd be like my wife sending me to the grocery store and be like, I don't know, I want you to go to the grocery store, just go in there and just get stuff. I don't, I'd be like, well, then then I'll come back and be like, well, you got, why did you buy vinegar? I didn't ask you to buy vinegar, like, you know, or whatever, right? So we need to be able to teach people God's word, right? The basic story of how we became to know Jesus. Now, number two, what we need is contextual awareness. So now this is where I'm getting to the scriptures here a little bit. We're at the Festival of the the Booze, right? This is a big feast of celebration, The Feast of Booths was a huge celebration that Jews would come all around the area to go and have this huge party because it's one of the five festivals where God commands his people to be thankful, to be joyful. And in particular, what are they celebrating? They're celebrating when God delivered Israel from Egypt and they had the 40 years in the wilderness. God provided for them, gave them food, gave them water, literally was showed up in a... like in a cloud of, of, you know, he was fire and pillar by night, or fire by night. So he showed up in like a physical water. And so there would be fire ceremonies. You know, God provided water in a desert. Trust me, you need that because that's literally life. I've been in the desert. And if you don't have water, you're dead. Um, Like God provided salvation. He provided their means for 40 years. And so they go and they remember that. They make these little booths that are branches and they Kind of represent their nomadic living style. But it's a huge, week-long celebration about God's provision. Pretty cool, huh? Like we celebrate Easter for a few hours on Sunday, but they know how to party. Okay, they know how to celebrate God. They, they party for a week. It's a good time. They're celebrating God for, for all that time. Now, it's either seven or eight days. Commentators don't really know exactly and when, when, um, when Jesus, at the very end, he talks about water, right? He makes a connection. We don't know if it's on the eighth or seventh day. The eighth day became a day of closing ceremonies, almost like the Olympics, right? They closed down the ceremonies. But basically, it was a week-long celebration. And so Jesus completely understands that. He has a contextual awareness to do that. So he reaches the Jewish people by teaching from the scriptures and speaking their language. He understands that context. But he goes up in the middle of the, the Feast of Booths because he had to conceal his identity because people were literally trying to kill him. So he had to go on the father's timing. Whenever the father wants him to go up there, that's what he's going to do. Contextual awareness is important. Do you know the context of America? Like there's books written about like sociology and, you know, you can read theological books. But do you know what kind of people live outside these church walls? I'll give you a very brief snapshot of what you're looking at. You ready? So if you talk to the average American, they're going to tell you, of course God loves me. Of course God accepts me. I get all that, right? Like they get part of the John three sixteen, 16, for God to love the world. That's the only thing they really get. God loves me, therefore, whatever's in my heart must be expressed. It must be shared. It must be celebrated. It must be whatever. And so here's really the basic idea of what people believe. It's, like, it's kind of like my son Judah. Now, I love Judah. He's back there right now. I don't know he's not paying attention to me. That's okay. But... He's five years old, but he. um, I ask him. I say. I say, Judah, what? um, (laughs) His favorite character is Star in Star Wars is uh, Darth Vader. Listen, don't don't judge. All right, but I think he likes the red lightsaber. Okay, and so I ask him. I said, What's uh, what's Darth Vader's favorite food? He says, Well, macaroni. I said, Okay. I said, Where does Darth Vader like to go on vacation? He likes to go to the beach. All right. Well. What's Darth Vader's favorite toy? It's Legos. What is he doing? He's making, every he's projecting himself onto Darth Vader. I love Darth Vader. He must love everything I love. We do the same thing for God. See, scripture says God created us in his image. The American people out here are going to say, no, 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 we're going to make God into our image. That's what you're dealing with. God couldn't possibly disagree with He must affirm everything I want. And then what they end up realizing at the end of their life is that they don't have a relationship with any type of God. They have a relationship with themselves. And that, my friend, is true hell. (laughs) We need to understand the mindset of the American culture. I already said this before, but there's already more non-Christians in this world than Christians, right? So it's a mission field. Every day is a mission field. So know your context, know who you're talking to, ask them questions, ask them about their story. Just like, you know, just like a simple thing, like, okay, well, how do you know that God celebrates everything in your life, or how do you know God won't judge you, or how do you know, like, you believe in God, if he's a higher being, do you think you guys both think the exact same way? I mean, me and my spouse don't think that way, like, we're married, we've been together forever, like, God is so much greater than that, right? So, you know, you just have some basic conversation, just exploring their views on spirituality. So, context, uh, contextual awareness. The third thing um, is boldness. Now, this is also a struggle. If you look at verses 21 through 24, I'm not going to read it for you, Jesus. But basically, it's this why did, why did the Jews want to kill Jesus? It's because he healed on the Sabbath. And so, here's what they said You did work on the Sabbath. Now, here's, here's the problem the Jewish people had to obey the Sabbath and circumcision. But circumcision came first because here's the problem. If you have to circumcise a little boy on the eighth day and it ends up on the Sabbath, you have a conflict. Okay, am I going to do work? Because if I do that, if if I work on the Sabbath, I'm violating God's law. But then you have a tension of like the Sabbath. And so what they would do is say, no, circumcision comes first. We have to obey that law. It's greater. Well, simply Jesus just, he just made somebody better. He actually made that person experience rest on a Sabbath, and yet they wanted to kill him for it. So he says, you're hypocrites. There's a boldness there to go against the religious leaders. Christians got to get a little bit more bold. This, this culture is not, it's not getting any better. And At some point, we're going to have to be more bold. What if we can't meet in buildings like this? What if that happens? We have to boldly go into the basements of our home to talk about Jesus. I don't know. I have no idea what the future holds. My friend, I met with him this week, and he um, he's a UCC pastor, but he's a conservative, theologically, you know, pastor. They ended up hiring him, and literally, I literally just talked to him this, this week, and he said, uh, "Yeah, we had a big pastors' conference, a whole national conference," and I just he looked so angry, and said, "I said, tell me about it," and he goes. They didn't even talk about Jesus at this conference. You know who they prayed to? Mother, fire, spirit, wind. Mother, God. As a church, as a... You know what they said? They said, we need to, as a church, as a UCC church, we need to reverse the reverse Wade. It's getting very politically charged. Guys, this is, they, they didn't even care if you believe if Jesus was God or not. They said, whatever you believe. They're a Unitarian church. They're not Christians. The UCC, like, what they're teaching right now is not. And so now he had to stick up and be bold at his conference and stick up for Jesus and said, no, like, this is the truth. That wasn't easy. But there you go. In your own church, you might have to be bold like that. Like, that's just heartbreaking, right? So now he's got to, like, figure out, okay, well, what do I got to do now? You know, uh, it doesn't follow my convictions. He's got to be bold to leave. So, Just take everything I told you this morning and go do it this week, okay? Where do you get the power to do it? Where do you get the power to live the missional life? Verse 38. I'll go from 37, it's fine. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Where do you get the power to live missional lives? Well, see, here's the thing. When you become a Christian, when you accept Jesus and the gift that he gives you, he gives you... That metaphor of water, right? Like it's literally life. John chapter 4 talks about the woman at the well. It literally talks about, I'm the, I'm the well that will never dry up. Your thirst will seize with me because I am truly the one who's going to give you satisfaction. When you have a relationship with God, something incredible happens. God cares about you. <laughs> he changes your entire identity. In Romans chapter 8, talks about the Holy Spirit indwells us as Christians. That's incredible. And at the end of the day, literally with inside of us, and at the end of the day, we don't need to care what anybody thinks about us. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what imperfections you have. It doesn't matter what skill sets you have. If, it doesn't matter what kind of rejection you face because you know that God is with you because he's literally inside of you. See, Jesus, when he, he often withdrew and prayed, right? We, we see that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying all night long. The disciples fell asleep, but... How is he so strong? He has an intimate connection with the Father. He's praying. He's connected. He's completely unified with the Father in every step of the way. And what do we have? We have that intimacy with God living with inside of us. The Holy Spirit literally. If we are filled with the Spirit, we ask the Spirit to fill us and direct our lives each day. We're going to live missionally. And he will give you the power to do it. One of the scariest prayers about today. Jesus, please give me somebody. I can talk to Jesus about with today. Help me to see somebody. Bring somebody my way. He's the Holy Spirit. What's his job? To seal us in, in, in the faith, right? To, to glorify Jesus. And it says at the very end here, the Spirit's not given until Jesus is glorified. Jesus had to complete the mission. Once Jesus completed the mission, then he goes, alright, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you community. I'm going to give you the Spirit. We are in that mission. We are completely wrapped up in the identity of who God is. It doesn't matter. He gives us literally the power and the strength to do it. And maybe your first step is, well, maybe I just need to learn and articulate that story about, about our faith. Right? So I teach co-journers, which is exactly what we, we, we teach people how to share it on a very natural way. We teach people how to communicate with outsiders in a way that's relevant. We talk about introverts and extroverts and how different gifting works into it, and we're going to hit this big time in October. We're going to have a little, uh, a little session coming up here in a few weeks, but Lighty's Church, are you ready for this? Are you ready to go on a mission for Jesus? That, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's something you guys would have to, to think about. And Jesus right here, right in the very words of Scripture, he's sending you. If you're his, his desire is to send you into the world. We're at cultural roads here, friends. We need Christians to be unashamed of Jesus. And I'm here to help you. You can call me any time in the world. You wanna learn something, we'll talk. I'm gonna hang out, we'll talk. You guys are a very gracious church, a very generous church, you guys are such a warm people, I love coming here. I think the outsiders need to experience your love because it's founded in Jesus Christ. Love you too, let's pray. Jesus, you're awesome. You love us so incredibly much. Your sacrifice for us gives me chills because I don't deserve it. None of us do. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all do horrible things. Our hearts are dirty, but you have purified us and you treat us like Jesus because he was perfect and we obtain a perfect relationship with you through faith and trust in Jesus alone. So I pray for Ladies Church. I pray that they find the right leadership to guide them through this difficult, unique, cultural uh Whatever we're in, we need good leadership to lead this flock of sheep into the future. And so I pray for the leadership here. pray for every congregation uh, member here, whatever their struggle is. And maybe they just need to talk. Maybe they don't have a confident relationship with you. Maybe they think they have a relationship with you, and they're not sure. And if they're not sure, they're not going to live missionally as as effective. So, Lord, I pray that if anybody has any kind of concerns, that they will come up here and they'll talk to one of the leaders on the consistory or the spiritual council, you are a good God, and you want us to know that we have a relationship with you so we can help share it with others. Amen.